Hello and welcome to the Understanding Rome podcast. This is episode two and it's about the lapis niger and the heart of government. My name's Agnes Crawford and I'm a qualified guide of the city of Rome with 20 years experience. You can find me at understandingrome.com and I'm Understanding Rome on Instagram and Substack. And this is a podcast which traces a thread through Rome's history from the very beginning by focusing on individual buildings and artefacts. Last month, in episode one, I spoke of the Temple of Hercules Victor in the Forum Boarium. I spoke of some of the most ancient legends concerning the origins of the city. The eminently solid Temple of Hercules is built upon those quicksands of legend. And so it is with our subject today, the Lapis Niger, the Black Stone, a place of very ancient religious significance which sees us begin to emerge from the hazy realm of legend into the nuts and bolts of history and which is home to possibly the oldest Latin inscription in existence. During excavations in the Roman Forum in 1903, which were overseen by Giacomo Boni, the father of modern archaeology, an archaic site of great religious importance was discovered near the Curia, the Senate House. Boni's archaeological methods were scientific. He used photography to document the phases of excavation. Every artefact of every phase was recorded along with the stratum in which it was discovered. But he also had an enthusiasm for the archaic history of Rome, which borders on the charmingly whimsical. It is said that the sight of the Lapis Niger came to him in a dream, which is pretty whimsical, I'd say. This juxtaposition between early 20th century modernity and the hazy realm of archaic myth is, I find, a very appealing one indeed. After his discovery, Bonnie described the site thus. The Lapis Niger is an ancient black marble pavement, measuring about 12 Roman feet on each side and about one foot thick, surrounded by an enclosure. Work on its discovery began on January the 10th at the centre of the Comitium. The passages in ancient authors referring to the place explored include the well-known one by Festus that recalls the Lapis Niger almost as marking a funerary site in the Comitium. According to Varro, who was writing in the first century BCE, the funerary site was in fact the site of the murder of Romulus, or perhaps his tomb. It is variously also described as the tomb of Faustulus, the shepherd who brought up Romulus and Remus, or perhaps of Hostus Hostilius, grandfather of the third king of Rome, Tullius Hostilius. The specifics, I think, matter rather less than the undoubted importance of the site rooted in Rome's most ancient past, as indicated by its constant repaving in a stone which marked it out as significant. 
the draining of the marshy valley at the foot of the Capitoline and Palatine hills is traditionally said to have taken place during the reign of the fifth king of Rome, Tarquinius Priscus, shortly before the year 600 BCE. The construction of the Cloaca Maxima, the great sewer, channelled the tributary of the Tiber which ran through the valley of the Velabrum, the watercourse where Romulus and Remus are said to have washed up against the fig tree, into the Tiber. Now this traditional dating fits in with archaeological evidence both of the first paving of the Forum and the last burials to be found in this area. And that tells us of the urbanisation of the valley. The end of burials means its incorporation into the inhabited area. And the urbanisation of the valley speaks of the union of two, until then distinct, inhabited areas. The so-called Romulean settlement on the Palatine, traditionally attributed to the founder of Rome, the legendary King Romulus, and the opposite settlement on the Capitoline and Quirinal hills. Indeed, the construction of the Temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Capitoline hill, which is also traditionally said to have begun under Tarquinius Priscus, so it's contemporary with the draining of the valley that became the Valley of the Forum, the building of the temple marks the move away from separate inhabited areas, and the beginning of a journey towards a unified urban district. This new and unified urban centre developed a seat of government in the newly reclaimed land, the area of the Comitium, literally to put together, it means an assembly. This area was at the northernmost end of the Forum, under the Capitoline Hill. In his Natural Histories of the first century, Pliny the Elder gives a description of the layout of the area, because he tells us how the announcement of noon took place before the development of the first sundial. The first sundial is said to have developed during the First Punic War, so in the mid 3rd century BCE. Pliny is writing in a world that had only known sundials, but he tells us of how earlier announcement of the noon would take place. Pliny tells us that the herald stood on the steps of the Senate House and declared the hour of noon immediately the sun appeared between the Graecostasis, that's the area from which distinguished foreign visitors, especially Greeks, could observe proceedings, and the rostra. In Latin, a rostrum is the prow of a ship. The prows in question had been seized during the Latin Wars following a victory off the coast of Anzio in 338 BCE and mounted in Rome on a platform from which speeches were given, a proof of Roman conquest. So he tells us that immediately the sun appeared between the Graecostasis 
and the rostra, the herald standing on the steps of the Senate House would announce midday. He also tells us that the herald announced sunset, when the sun fell between the Minion column and the prison. From these coordinates, it can be deduced that the Curia Hostilia, the oldest seat of the Senate in the Forum, was in fact not where the Senate House we see today, begun by Julius Caesar, now stands, but rather to the north of the Comitium, the area immediately in front of the current Senate House. Similarly, it can be calculated that the rostra and the Grycostasis were to the south. Thus, the Senate House stood roughly where today we find the Church of Saints Luca and Martina, and the Comitium was surrounded by a circular tribune, which incorporated the Grycostasis and the Rostra. It was within the area circumscribed by this tribune that Giacomo Boni began his excavations on the 10th of January of 1899, and he brought to light the Niger Lapis, or the Lapis Niger, the Blackstone. Subsequent excavations investigated beneath this black stone and found a grouping of a late 4th century BCE altar, an early 3rd century BCE column base and an inscribed tufa block thought to date to the mid-6th century BCE. For many years, the whole area has been hidden from sight beneath a temporary structure, protecting it from the elements. But a cast of the inscribed block can usually be seen at the Museum of the Baths of Diocletian. At the moment, it is on display in the newly opened Forum Museum in the convent of Santa Maria Nova, part of a current exhibition about Giacomo Boni. And the inscription on the chippus is bustrophedic. That is to say, it is written snaking up and down, up and down. From the Greek bus, meaning an ox. It is like an ox ploughing a field. And the inscription is enigmatic, not least because the missing upper section of the chippus means that any reconstructions of the text must approximate the size of the missing section. Perhaps a small amount is missing, or perhaps quite a large chunk is no longer there. The traditional theory, however, pieces together traces of that inscription which survive, and has pieced together the fragments of a known curse, which existed under the Leges Regi, or the Royal Laws, which stated that whomsoever violates this place be sent to the evil gods. The positioning of the inscribed block next to an altar fits in with the reading of it as the regulation governing a sacred area. 
one of the visible words means of the king. And that fits in with this theory. The chippus, this inscribed stone, has been dated to the second quarter of the 6th century BCE, the last period of the kingdom before the birth of the Roman Republic. It dates to the very cusp of legend and history. And a date of the 6th century BCE derives from its position embedded in the second level of the paving of the Comitium. And as I mentioned, it is often considered to be the oldest surviving example of a Latin inscription. If correct, this dating suggests that the king referred to is in fact an actual king, not a rex sacrorum, the king of sacred rites, who took on the religious duties of the deposed kings from the Republic onwards. This area remained the seat of government right through the Roman Republic and the Empire. And when Julius Caesar planned the construction of a new Senate house to replace the Curia Hostilia, reconstructed on a number of occasions as part of his new forum, it was to face onto the ancient area of the Comitium. Thus, the subsequent conquests of a vast empire, which would stretch from Scotland to Sudan and from the Atlantic to the Persian Gulf, would be governed from this most archaic seat of Roman government, rooted firmly in that hazy, misty realm of legend. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I'm Understanding Rome, and my substack is understandingrome.substack.com. Until next time, thanks very much. Goodbye.